Darling, it's the Shy Life Podcast. You won't find a cast of characters like this everywhere. Hello, Paul. Delicious. This particular episode of the Shy Life is, is a little more abstract than usual. Okay, looks like the hairy guy is ready to record. Three, two, one. Go Shy Yeti. Find out my secret. Do you think he has? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I've I've got my deer stalker and my uh, magnifying glass today. And, and oh, look, I can see we have a, another guest. We, we have another guest today. We have uh, Martin Holmes here. Hi, Martin. Hello. I'm rep- representing my uncle Sherlock today. Yes. <laughs> can I have the hat? Oh, back? Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn! I, I'm gonna have to get. I'm just. I'm gonna have to don my Miss Marple disguise instead. <laughs> They're much the um, same. You, yeah. yeah, the very um, Tweedy Miss Marple, so, the Margaret Rutherford Miss Marple, is, is, is very much yeah. Sherlock Holmes in, <laughs> with a with a with a Tom Baker wig on. No. Um, yeah, I don't think I could cope with the. Uh, they're, they're quite. <laughs> I need more stretchy clothes. I don't think I could get into those. <laughs> um, so yes, listeners, um, you may wonder what on earth we're going on about. Well, it's because Martin and I we're not talking about music this time, not unless it somehow comes up. But uh, no, we're talking about um, books and particularly detective fiction, and um, n- not in any sort of comprehensive way. Just uh, we're going to start talking about it and and. Um, and see where we get. Yeah. So if you um, if you bear with us, I'll just run the theme music, and when we come back, we'll we'll get talking. It's time for my old buddy, old pal from across the channel, across the pond, Paul Chandler, the shy daddy. He's not that shy. All I wanted was a pie. And then I hatched out of an egg. Okay, bring the mic over. He's ready to record. It's the quiet ones you've got to watch, you know. Is it metaphorical? Is it, is it deep? Is it deep? <laughs> Boy, he's not all that shy is right. <laughs> Blimey, Governor. It's the Shy Life Podcast. If you thought that was bad, just listen to this. No, I can't wait. I can't wait for it to begin. It's the Shy Life Podcast. He's positively glowing. <laughs> and we're back. So, uh, Martin, but where should we start? There's, there's... Well, well, I suppose I should start by apologising because I'm actually the wrong person for this. Uh, you, sh- you should actually be talking to my better half, or uh, or indeed her mother, um, <laughs> because they are they are the big crime fiction readers. Uh, I I tend to sort of pick it up by proxy, or I, I pick mm. up the occasional uh, copy. You know, I, I I do read crime fiction myself. Uh, there's, there's, yeah. it's, it, but I don't read. Uh, they're the big Christie fans. They're the big um, mm. uh, uh, Rebus fans mm. and, and people mm. like that. So they really know their stuff. I mean, uh, Better Half has been picking up. I don't know if you know the range, but they are. Is it the British Library classic um, mm. Mm. Uh, collection of uh, these are kind of golden age detective fiction short stories. Quite often uh, yes. from from writers who have almost become forgotten, but 
whose characters were quite uh, well known back in the twenties and thirties. Mm, mm. And this, uh, the the is it, it is the British is it the British Library collection or? But anyway, they've been reprinting these um, these books uh, mm. from that time, and they are apparently. You know, I mean, well, I've read some of them, but across the board, they're actually very good. But they're just they, because they've been out of print so long, people don't know who yeah. these writers are. And uh, I don't know. I feel that's a great thing to do, and I think it's a great thing to do from a from a literature point of view. You know, you can't really, ha you shouldn't really have writers who are just forgotten, who were mm. huge. You know, I mean, even people like Alistair MacLean now are pretty much out of print. You know, Alice McLean wrote some huge, huge uh, war stories, obviously in that era. Uh, so I think it's, uh, yeah. I think it's, I think, yeah. But anyway, yeah. The, but the experts, unfortunately, are not here today. You've, <laughs> well, you've got, you've fun. got me instead. Yeah, well, obviously, and we're going to try and stick towards the booky side of things because I think yes. talking about detectives that were in books that then became in TV series is, is something that can be kept from a completely different conversation so um, which I, we will, uh, I will already have bagged you to have at some point <laughs> yes, you know, no, I'm, I'm such an opportunist <laughs> um, well I've got a bit of information about what's considered the four different types of detective Ooh. the four different archetypes um, so for instance, you have the amateur detective, mm. who would be like uh, Miss Marple, or on, on TV, Jessica Fletcher, mm. or someone like Lord Peter Whimsey, um, um, f from outside the field of criminal investigation, yes. but gifted with knowledge, curiosity, desire for justice, etc. Um, then we have the private investigator, mm. so that would be Holmes, or, or Marlowe, or Spade, Poirot, uh, Magnum on TV, mm. uh, who work professionally in criminal and civic investigations but outside the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have, of course, the police detective, um, yes. and that could be somebody like um, Inspector Dalgleish, Kojak, Morse, Columbo, uh, Migray. Uh, they're, they're part of an official investigation body mm -hmm. and they're charged with solving crimes. Mm -hmm. And then the, the final... Um, the final example would be the forensic specialist. Ah. Uh, so... Uh, Scarpetta, Quincy, Cracker, CIS scene. A lot of these are, I think of them being more TV, but of course, probably they are also from books originally. Mm. Um, sometimes, if, you, if you're not a, um, you know, I, I, I do have my favourites, so I'm not, I'm sometimes surprised when um, some, some of the areas I don't tend to, mm. to, to follow uh, mm. also come from books. But, um, yeah, the, the forensic specialist is affiliated with an investigative body uh, officially tasked with specialised scientific results rather than solving the crime as a whole. Wow. So that would include people who have a particular mm. specialism, so you get supernatural yes. uh, uh, detectives and stuff. Of like course. That. I mean, I guess he is, he is a... There are books of... Um, oh, I've forgotten what the name of the series is now. Um... What was the one? Oh, what was the name of that show where the guy is a serial killer but he's a detective? Um, oh, um, yes. <laughs> oh, now you've thrown me. Him. Yes, him, Dexter. Yes, Dexter. Um, somebody like mm. Dexter, who I know there are books of, but I, I, I've, I've mm. got them, but I haven't read them. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was a specialist in a certain area, but he, he was also helping mm. to uh, give the police uh, work. So. <laughs> well, it, it is interesting that because you've got—I uh, mean, so many of the ones you mentioned in passing uh, when, as examples there were actually they were in film and television, but were also started off as a lit literary yes. uh, 
literary detectives and and it's amazing actually i think sometimes people forget that well, maybe not with morse but morse wasn't a television creation morse mm. was a a, yes. a literary yeah. mm. creation as indeed was Sherlock Holmes as indeed were so many of them and I think that is kind of fascinating in its own way that sometimes the the televisual incarnations sort of overtake yeah. that but actually the literary roots of it I mean even something like James mm. Bond has got more literary roots that people kind of sort of forget about quite yeah, often yeah. Well, I've got a, a, I'm not going to go through the whole of this list but there are some a few mm. names of, we'll start with the amateur detectives, there's quite a few here mm. that, and apologies if if some of them are TV only but I, I know for instance people like uh, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, there are mm. books of those and I'm not sure, I guess those books started oh, yes. before the TV series um, but of mm. course you've got um, Father Brown um Mm. And, and there are some there are some here I've never heard of like Encyclopedia Brown. I don't know. I don't oh, right. even know. I could click on it, but I don't think we've got time. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, Jonathan Creek. And now I don't know if Jonathan Creek ever had books. I think that is just TV only. But um, mm. of course, mm. we've got the Famous Five. Um, mm. And I always found it interesting with with Ina Blyton that. Um, you can talk to somebody and say, and, and perhaps all say, "Oh yes, I grew up reading in a Blyton," and find that you all read different series of her. Um, mm. Because I, I read prolific. I think my mum had the Five Finder Outers, which was an Ina Blyton one, but it was right. the, the, probably the least famous of Famous Five, Secret Seven, and then these mm. other ones. And I never mm. read Secret Seven or mm. Famous Five. I, I read. Um, mm. These, these other ones that she wrote um, mm. and also I read like the, the Magic Faraway Tree and the and, and those mm. ones and I think it was partly because those mm. are the ones my mum had so rather than buy new ones those were the ones that I well, yes. um, that I, I read but you, you talk to other people and they they're more familiar with something else she wrote um, but mm. um, well Better Off always says that the reason she started reading uh Christie was because there was just a shelf full mm-hmm. of them and she, she got bored with reading the books that were supposed to be appropriate to her age yes. group so she started grabbing the uh, the Christie books off the shelf which were she was probably too young yeah but I think I read Agatha Christie because it must have been around the time when they were on the TV a lot as well oh. um, and mm. although I sort of I, I think it was more accepted, or more, or my parents wouldn't have been concerned if I was reading Agatha Christie, whereas mm. a few years later I was reading I was reading Stephen King. But they might have been, they might have um, been uh, uh, less happy if I was reading Stephen King when I was ten. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, fair but although I did have a friend uh, who 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 used to sit her very young children down in front of the omen quite <laughs> regularly. So what do I know? <laughs> but, um, so, so yeah, we, so who else have we got on this list? Uh, we'll come back to Agatha Christie because she is one of my. Mm. Um, w- w- yes, I know. I keep saying I've no, segued. No, you know, we've got uh, well Veronica Mars, but she is definitely I think TV only. Um, mm. But then Hetty Wainthrop, t- I think TV only. Mm. Lord Peter Whimsey, of course, is another amateur detective. Mm. And I, um, he he definitely is uh, book book first rather rather. Um, mm. But. Uh, there are so so many. I, I well, I suppose I should say before we go on to any other other ones. Um, I I do particularly remember there was a lovely little bookshop in Salisbury, which 
I went to a horrible school for two years. I, I'd been to this lovely primary school. Um, mm. And in our area, we still have 11 plus. And I, I failed my 11 plus. But my parents wanted me to do the 13 plus. The only way of doing that was to send me to this horrible private school for two years. Um, mm. And then I got the opportunity to to do the 13 plus and and I did pass it and I got to the grammar school but um, for those two years though the, the hours of of that um, private school were were longer than a normal school so I didn't finish right. I didn't finish school till five um, Ooh, bloody hell. but my my dad wasn't nearly packing up work by six so I was able to mm. some days my mum would pick me up and some days I would walk um, uh, well it, it, it wasn't that far, but consider, you know, yeah. I was only eleven or twelve. So I mean, yeah. I, I don't. With all that extra time put in, you'd think later on in life they'd give you a year off. <laughs> yeah, I think they should do. Um, <laughs> but I used to have to walk past this this old junk shop, bookshop, um, which mm. I guess was probably getting ready to close. I probably had to get me my my, my my skates on because they're probably closing by half five, and it probably was at least a ten minute walk away. But I used to get in there, and I was people buying. Um, my Agatha Christie books, but I also bought lots of other write, um, writers that I never actually got round to reading because I think by the time I bought so many over the years that by the time I got round to reading all of the Agatha Christie's, I, I can't, perhaps I'd moved on to Stephen King. But I remember I bought a lot of books by, and I'd never been totally sure how to pronounce her, her name, but um, Nio Marsh. Um, oh, yeah. and. Um, sounds, I can't even. Sounds closer than I would have got. I, so yes, I really don't I think, know. I think that is what it is. I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying. Let me just have a. Uh, I think she has a um, a particular. She's a, a New Zealand crime writer. Because um, mm. you've got people like Marjorie Allingham and Dorothy mm. L. Sayers. I um, I sort of dabbled in Dorothy L. Sayers. I I, mm. I dabbled in Dorothy L. Sayers mainly because um, for a brief period I. I, my, my dad got me ringing church bells that hit the church he went mm. to, and um, I, I, I did it for, for only a couple of times really because mm. it was it interested me. But the guy there who was about 112 delighted mm. in sort of saying, "Of course, you don't do it properly. You're you're so light. You'll get." To, I mean, nobody, nobody oh. would say I was so light now, but back well, back then when I was 12, mm. there was kind of a, a slight concern that you know if I lost control of the bell, I'd be going up through the hole in the. You might be suddenly looking like a thunderbird. Uh, uh, yeah, and I thought I thought well, <laughs> also, also going to that school meant that I didn't have as much free time because um, I had to yeah. go to school on Saturday mornings as well. Um, yeah. I know, and had I been good at sport, I would have had... <laughs> kind of monsters were <clears throat> Well, I suppose it was a boarding school, although I wasn't a boarder. Um, so I guess they were keen to keep the kids as busy as possible, but, you know, um, they could have left me out of it. But, um, uh, but yeah, I had to do some some talk, and I can't remember what it was for now. Um, mm. But I I think I read a piece... I, I, there's, there's a... Um, there's a uh, Dorothy L. Sayers book, is it The Nine Tailors? Uh, mm. And that was all about bells. So I kind of mm. ha- had to do a little presentation. And, and I think I pretended I'd read the whole book, but um, mm. um, but hadn't. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think some of the... Uh, Agatha Christie, I always found an easy, gr- an easy read, considering I was probably mm. reading her at a, sort of 11, 12, whatever. The books were never mm. more than about... 200 pages maybe slightly mm. more um but they were always kind of you know quite easy to follow and so, mm. some, some of the some of the other writers i found if their books were more like 500 pages it was 
I, it, sometimes the process of, of the detectives talking to the um, to the different suspects could seem to take ages, and, and I'd be like, well, "Where's the next murder?" Uh-huh. <laughs> well, no, I, Christie's structure is exemplary, uh, and and indeed the fact that she was telling such complex stories in mm-hmm. such a limited page count is actually impressive. Um, I, th- I feel very few of her stories unravel if you look at them too closely they do seem beautifully plotted uh, i was going to before we sort of got deeply into this i was going to mention uh the woman in white uh, the, the wilkie collins uh sensation novel from around about uh, 18 1860 ish uh as which is seen as one of the early examples of detective fiction um with uh, walter hartwright mm. Uh, doing using lots of amateur investigative techniques, but also uh, Bleak House, of course, mm-hmm. Inspector Bucket mm-hmm. uh, in Dickens, which I just think again, I don't know if you ever read. I mean, Bleak House is a is a doorstop of a book, mm. but it's uh, but it is I find it one of the more accessible Dickens books, really, which is uh, and fascinating, and indeed, again, you get. You know there is a murder there is an investigation mm. so so they are I, I don't i know we're not going to dwell particularly on, on those the roots of uh, detective fiction but those two particularly sort of stand out as early early ones that i have actually read yeah, if you see yeah, what i yeah. mean yeah um, i was going to jump back into our other list um mm. of private investigators um mm. i see i see that tommy and tuppence beresford um that two yeah two of um, Agatha Christie's creations are listed mm. under private investigators um, although I the, this it's, it's, I think there's only four or five books with Tommy and Tuppence and mm. some of the early ones are set when they're young um, mm. and the later two are set when they are pensioners um, mm. and I was, the plots of which have been hijacked by the Agatha Christie Marple series, mm. and, and, ooh, and I always ooh. like the old, I always like the later ones when they were, because I guess I just have a fondness for old lady detectives or, or, or AP detectives. <laughs> um, yes, but um, no, fair enough. I find the Tommy and Tuppence uh, books less accessible, to be fair, than than the other. I mean, the her better known detectives. Mm. I think <laughs> they are, although again, her standalone. Uh, stories, you know, the ones that don't involve any sort yeah. of series, if you like. I mean, I know these days all writers seem to be able, they have to commit to writing about five books about their characters yeah. these days, especially yeah. in detective fiction. No. But uh, I do think that uh, Tommy and Tuppence are possibly the least successful of the Christie uh, I, character. The, you know, the earlier ones detective. are kind of more spy thrillers, um, mm. and I guess the ones I like are more, you know, you could easily transplant. Um, Miss Marple in there instead, sort of thing. Um, well, they do actually. I mean, one thing about uh, Marple, uh, or Miss Marple and Poirot to a certain extent, is that they have actually quite lengthy careers. I mean, they they sort of appear in several decades, but also I believe uh, right at the beginning of the pretty much is, is the, the first book. Poirot is already in the process of retiring yeah. so a lot of Poirot is actually a very elderly detective but they don't play that up for the t- no. for the TV version and also they sh- they shift the decades about a yeah. bit to make everything happen in a particular era but uh, there's a lot more range in the actual because Christie was writing for what 40 50 years mm. maybe longer and so she would obviously be writing contemporary 
thrillers, if you like, uh, which would then sort of use you know things like oh aeroplanes or you know motor cars or telephones, mm -hmm. which. Uh, would change over the course of her life and therefore would change in the lives of her, her do, do, do you think we're allowed is it too is it too soon to to spoil to spoiler um something about hercule poirot can, can, can oh, we can well, we say that he was very can we talk about Kurt? he's a very naughty boy in the in the last book <laughs> <laughs> well that is an interesting uh Aspect. I, I find, weirdly, I do find with, certainly with uh, literary detectives being bumped off, I actually find the last novels are always difficult. Because you, I think, to a certain extent, with these characters, you like to think they're, they're out there and timeless and, you know, they're sort of out there forever solving crimes and i the one i struggled with was remorseful day with morse mm. i know again that's we're, we're in the wrong segment for that but i i struggled with the remorseful day because i feel suddenly and i know this is the nature of life and all that i know people's lives end but for some reason it makes all the other books more difficult to enjoy because you know you've got this full stop coming and to a certain extent with Poirot, it's the same. You know you've got this full stop, which kind of, once you know what happens in Curtain, it sort of colours the way you look at the character in the, in the previous Because she, she must have written... Because I think that's one of the ones... Because she wrote the last Poirot and Marple a lot earlier. Mm. So she must... Interesting to think that she she did that. Knew that and then, then went back to writing normal books mm. where, they, where he... <clears throat> there was no doubt over it. You know. Well, they've got a morality, haven't they? I mean, there's a, there's a fundamental morality in the character which kind of gets slightly coloured when you sort of see it in that context, in that wider context, if you like. Which, of course, human beings, you know, characters, human beings, whatever, are complex creatures. And, you know, I might think one thing one day and I might think the opposite the next day. I mean, you know, we're all capable of that. But it's just, in literature, the... I think the one thing about the literary detective is <clears throat> you know with usually at least within the pages of that book the crime is going to be solved and it's a closed world mm. and you but you know that the actual the through story of the detective you're going to feel to a certain extent that they are the moral uh, compass if you like so when that moral compass gets shifted a bit, it becomes, I think it becomes more hazy. I know the anti-hero is a big thing nowadays, but I do feel that you once you lose that moral compass, it's difficult to look at the previous books and think, ah, yeah, but you're going to think the opposite of that when it comes to, you know. Because I don't, I don't think there's anything um, drastic happens to Miss Marple in that. I don't know if there is anything in the last Miss Marple book that... In, Which is the last? Is Nemesis the last one? I think... I think so, but I know that they've sometimes done them when they did them on TV. They did them at Vaud, which sometimes confused. I don't think Nemesis was the last mm. one on TV, but I feel like no. it is the last one um, of hers that was written or was published. Mm. Um, well, of course, it refers back <coughs> to characters that are in the previous book as well, mm. so you know it's a sequel of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like Nemesis. I like Nemesis a lot. Actually, it's uh, it feels like a significant. No, I mean the other. The other side of that coin, of course, is 
if you write the last book when you're at the top of your game even if you then as you as you sort of get on maybe some of them aren't as good you know you've got this absolute corker coming right yeah. at the end you know yeah. So it's it's difficult because stylistically people's writing change and and you know I mean it must be strange if you've already written your final book and then you suddenly decide say three books down the line oh my character's got to lose a leg but you don't mention that at all oh but now now I've just double checked and actually no Nemesis isn't the last one that was published no um, is it well it was the last one she wrote. Um, in her life. But it's not the last one that was published. Ne- Nemesis mm. is, is book 11. Uh, right. And it was published in 71. And the last one actually released was Sleeping Murder, which I don't really... Yeah, which is, I think is the one that... I think that was the one that she wrote and kept aside. But mm. I don't really remember anything particularly happening in that. That, uh, um, mm. But I think it, it does say that, that that book is set in the 1930s. So whether it really, it it, it whether it, it doesn't really fit it it's it, the the cover of the book does say Miss Marple's last case, but I don't mm. know that we're meant to. Um, yeah, I suppose I I'd, I'd need to know a lot more about the timeline of yes. of of the other books. Uh, but uh, well, I think the other thing that's interesting, of course, is you get the short stories, yes. um, which have been expanded mm. upon in in other uh, formats, and and the short story does serve certain detective stories quite well. I feel you know the form of short stories is actually very impressive. Mm. Uh, I I like the short story form. I've never been able to do it particularly well myself, but the uh, the thing I like about it is that it doesn't try and stretch out the story to 300 pages when there is only a 30 or 40 page story but also there's a a lot of uh things like locked room mysteries and which actually are a puzzle and the book is a puzzle and you've just got to really work out how how it was done Mm. the how done it rather than the who done it if you like and there's an awful lot of that kind of uh detective fiction in the short story form which sometimes is much more effective than you know, another 300 pages where, you know, they go off and they have to have six curries or four different serial killers or, or the plots have to get more and more convoluted because they are just trying to keep the word count up, you know. I mean, there is a lot of, there is a lot of preposterous detective for, 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 out there. For, for my um, limited amateur uh, writing stance on, on short stories, when I was a teenager, I, I would just dash off short stories, you know, they, they, they seem... So easy, and I and I and I was always writing short stories, mm. and and then I didn't do any for years. And when I came back to doing them, I, I suddenly realised I was just very lucky that I was able to do them um, mm. then, and that actually it was much harder. And and they kept trying to turn themselves into novellas rather than. Mm. Um, sure. Although, well, if you think about it, Holmes is mostly short stories. I mean, they were written for the Strand. But but the most of the the canon of of Sherlock Holmes is is short stories. There are only four sort of mm. full length or not novella length or longer uh, Sherlock Holmes books. Mm. Uh, was it Study in Scarlet Valley of Fear, um, Hand of the Baskervilles, and the other one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one. And yeah, well, it's, it's, it's named shocking. It's moment, shocking that. Uh, sign of ah. fall, sign of fall. But um, but the 
the thing is that the the one that best works as a novel to a certain extent is is hound of the baskervilles mm. and even for that sherlock holmes is absent for a large chunk mm. of the plot but also um the study in scarlet and valley of fear both basically go off and tell a completely different story for half the <laughs> book before they come back to the main plot because actually what you've done there is you've got a short story that's divided by a long story that's about mm. something that's a lot of background but actually the detective part of both studying scarlet and valley of fear are very much the start and end and this whole sort of background of the the freemasons in the case of one you know is is actually kind of irrelevant to what's really the main plot it gives you a bit of insight into the motives of the the villains if you like and why the crime happened but it's not necessarily it doesn't need to be there if you see what I mean. mm. what what of well, I'll, I'll give you any uh writers out there who who, who need some advice um the the way i got around my sort of short story problem was that uh, i decided to write very very short stories i.e. a hundred word stories and i'm not quite sure how it happened i think i found some that i'd written years ago and i thought oh one of the two of these are quite good and and i started copying them up to put them in a book i was putting together and then that started getting me to write some new ones and about 10 years ago i wrote a load in a very short period of about three months um, mm. and they were just coming out two or three a day and then after i'd done the those they sort of suddenly stopped it's i'm my mind it's very confusing very i know I, I just follow it let, let it guide me but um I, I i just stopped but then when i went back to writing the short stories suddenly i could do it again mm. i think having written the stuff so short so so small it was then easier to mm. unfold to a sort of medium length yes. um where mm. uh, so that's so just my little thought just my little this is how, how no, it worked it's, for me. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very valid one and and the other thing about it is that the i think that in many ways means that you kind of process all the um the ideas you have and the ones i think the one way you sit there and go oh i'd like to do more of this mm -hmm. i'd like to i'd like to explore this particular story more is where and that's how you learn which one you want to go forward with of course the, tr the, the truth about very valid, yeah of course the truth about the hundred word stories was that they were more scenes like a like a troll mm. under a bridge wait, waiting for uh, a, a little child to go over the top so they could mm. eat it uh, to only to emerge from the bridge to be mm. greeted by a, a little child who was uh, f f uh, sort of far more um, deadly th than it was um, mm. so so you know you couldn't have done it they were little 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 scenes you couldn't have yes. you couldn't have done well I guess you could have done more with it but uh, um, but they but it's it's uh, Sometimes you have to kind of think with short stories, how far can the story run? How much? Uh, yes. Um, if it, oh well, I'm a terrible one. I, I mean, I don't write anything like as much as I used to, but uh, I do find that uh, I suffer very much from word diarrhea. I can, I can, you know, mm. I I find actually restricting storylines much more difficult than I just could. If I like the characters, I could burble on about them for pages. That doesn't necessarily make it good writing. But I've found, interestingly enough, when you say about the 100-word um, story, I've actually found in recent years getting my thoughts into uh, poetry form mm. 
actually helps with that process so that that's my version of your process it actually helps me get the thoughts into a kind of order i mean i used to find if i was feeling um very down very low sometimes i could actually haiku my way out of it mm -hmm. by taking the thought that was preying on my mind and just writing a haiku and then writing another haiku mm -hmm. and writing it and and over the course of an evening or a morning i could actually find that doing focusing the mind very much helps free the mind i know that's I, probably a very way, strange way of looking at things but uh, i think yeah I, I think you've got a lot of there's a lot to be said for your hundred words well i also because when i did poetry i often did humorous poetry and and it usually suited rhyming and that's the tra mm. challenge i i used to get quite cross that people would look down on rhyming because yes it can be done very badly but the challenge is to, to do it well um and, yes. and and i wouldn't you know sometimes you hear lyrics and songs and you think you could have worked on that a bit longer that that you mm. know you get away with it perhaps in a song where you, you're moving on quickly and there's music and mm. um but I, I used to well there's also the refrain yeah I, I used to so work you come back to it and you get thousands of people chanting back to you <laughs> which I, I personally find very tiresome but i don't particularly like concerts yeah. but but that's um you know i can i can see why it works I, because if it catches in the brain, mm. you know, million-selling single. But, right. but, but I used to. But we're not talking about music. I used to kind of. <laughs> I used to kind of, yeah, sort of really work on the line until it was ready. It didn't just sort of. And and, and, and I also used to do when I did non-rhyming poetry. Sometimes I'd be thinking, I'm not even sure this is poetry. This might just be a very short sort of truncated prose uh, mm. I, I, was never, I was never quite sure what some of my things were um, because. Well, language has a rhythm, yeah. doesn't it? That's the point. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of that. And, of course, in the end, um, you know, the short story has rhythm. The detective story has rhythm. I mean, it's interesting that you can analyse and break down the great writers, uh, the great detective writers, but the great writers mm. generally. You can actually put a formula into place where this has to happen by page 30 this has to happen by page 60 mm. it's a bit like uh, in something like uh, midsummer murders on tv mm. you know there has to be a murder before each commercial break mm. and all this kind mm. of thing but the plot has to sort of be in these 20 minute chunks yeah. but also in in detective fiction there's a certain amount of you know the story unfolds you i mean we used to again i know i, I shouldn't be talking about television but when poirot was doing the hour and 40 minute versions the long mm. pirate and we were watching them on dvd there were it literally the we would start shouting <laughs> at the television because at an hour and 20 minutes they would gather you know you'd had all the unfolding bits of plot and everything but at an hour and 20 minutes you knew the next 20 minutes was this was this is going to be the solution of the plot the fascinating thing for that though is how much uh, adaptations for television of uh, the great detectives of literature, how much they bugger about with the plot, and yet sometimes how little you notice that. Mm. One of the great Poirot books is Labours of Hercule, mm. or Labours of Hercules, if you prefer. <laughs> and uh, that really does... There are, I think there are 12 actual labors mm. yeah, in each there's twice it's 12 short stories but they are linked short stories and i think they only actually even in the television adaptation they only touch on four of them mm. uh but and yet still that sort of makes a reasonably 
coherent plot, which actually probably shows you how strong the original uh, source material is. But it's uh, it's it's a great book mm. as a read, and actually, I sometimes find with a lot of detective fiction, detective literature, mm. that actually that's part of the problem is that the book is so good, it's almost it's almost impossible to adapt it successfully mm. and make the person who read it first feel satisfied with the result you know and that's across the board that's all sorts of i mean someone will i mean i always think for example i'm a big fan of mark billingham's uh, tom thorne mm. series uh, I've, I've bought them since i first found them in a asda you know 20 years ago and i think they're i think tom thorne as a, as a detective character i think the plots have always been again convoluted and you know a bit schlocky at times but actually very good plots they're always they keep you guessing and they, and they keep you page turning you know but the interesting thing to me is the character in my head actually looks like uh ken stott who plays rebus mm. now so in my head the character of tom thorne looks like rebus mm. so when i watch tom thorne and they cast david morrissey mm. <laughs> that feels wrong that feels uh, and and it makes it more difficult to actually absorb you know the character but in, interestingly enough then if i'd see a rebus i'm actually thinking oh is this a tom oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing is that that's a fascinating aspect of literature generally i mean isn't tom cruise something like five foot six or five foot he's, yeah. he's not a, mm. not the tallest mm. person and he's not the well i mean okay he's obviously done some work in the gym in recent years but he's not the shall we say most large and intimidating person as yeah. a presence yeah. if you like apart from the fact he's tom cruise therefore he's large and intimidating as a presence mm. in that sense mm. but he was playing jack reacher and jack reacher is supposed to be something like six foot four and built like a, <laughs> a brick privy as it were and uh and so people who are fans of the books are going, well, he's just completely wrong casting. Mm. Although, if you came to it via the films, you'd probably think, you know, oh, it's Tom Cruise. He looks like Tom Cruise. Yeah. Now, you mentioned The Woman in White by uh, Wilkie Collins. Wilkie. Now, according to my my sources on the mm. internet, um, it, uh, Wilkie Collins is also... Uh, well, it says here that it considers The Woman in White to be the first great mystery novel but it also mm. does say another... Or sensational yeah. novel. Sensation novel. Yeah. Yes. It does also say that his his book The uh, the Moonstone is mm. the first, the longest and the best um, of modern English detective novels. Well this is another thing isn't it because I what gets me about the Victorian novel you know, not, not wanting to get too sort of bogged down in this but what gets me about the Victorian novel is how many of them are doing it for the first time. I mean, you think about uh, A Christmas Carol, which is a novella. It's a short mm. book by Charles Dickens. But it invents so much of that spiritual fiction, the ghost fiction. I mean, this stuff doesn't really feature... I mean, you get Banquo's ghost way back in Shakespeare. Mm. So I suppose maybe you could say Shakespeare invented all these things. But, but actually using all that stuff from a christmas carol didn't exist before a christmas carol came yeah. there was you know there were things that were in the zeitgeist but actually a lot of that stuff that we refer to now that ideas of christmas comes from that book and the the interesting thing again is that then dickens goes and writes a detective novel and there, there would have been at that stage magazine mm -hmm. you know the yellow back um fiction the cheap 
fiction that was being sold. Yeah. Uh, there would have been all that, and maybe the the, the great writers were just thinking, oh, I need to com- I, I need to compete with that, but also, you know. They are doing it for the first time. I mean, you might look at these books now and think, oh, it's a bit cliched. Oh, you know, it's, it's got the behind you joke or, or whatever. You know, the, but these would be... They, when they're being done for the first time, that doesn't make them cliched. That makes them... Well, well this is the, the thing. Um, I've got a list here of things that happen in the Moonstone that would mm. become um, sort of almost cliches of the genre in the mm. 20th century. And, and so, for instance... I guess these all must appear in the Moonstone. So we've got mm. the English country house robbery. We've got an, an, <laughs> an inside job. We've got red herrings. We've got a celebrated, skilled professional investigator. We've got bungling local constabulary. Oh, I can't say that properly. Mm. Bungling local constabulary. Ah, bungle. Yes, bungle. I've got detective inquiries. <laughs> ah, bungle. <laughs> we've got detective inquiries. We've got large numbers of false suspects. We've got a least likely suspect. We've got a rudimentary locked room murder. A reconstruction of the crime and a final twist in the plot. I guess, uh, I guess these are supposed to all occur in the Moonstone. I'm afraid I've not read it, but it was Dorothy L. Sayers's. Um, well, it was, well, I don't know if it was her favourite, but she says that it mm. was probably the very That's finest true. detective story ever written. So I guess it was a favourite. <laughs> but this is the other side of the coin because about that time, you've also got the formation of the detective, uh, you know, uh, detective uh, CID. Uh, CI, the department, that's it, the t- t- departments in uh, things like um, uh, Scotland Yard and what have you. And I think generally, the for a very long time, I mean, because at that stage you've not really even had policemen for a very long, you know, the, the police force hasn't been around that long in, in the form that we know it. Uh, you know, law and order in sort of Victorian England is a, is a developing and you know growing form it's get it's growing its form but also a, a lot of uh, the detectives were not necessarily well respected i mean because we I mean, you, you get shows like um sergeant court for example which i know uh, we're quite big fans of but um the detectives from that time were learning the job but also quite often when people kept getting away with things or people got to it they didn't really think of they weren't that impressed mm. until the reputation of Scotland Yard detectives came through, and which is why, in a lot of the fiction of the era, the the the, the official detectives are always portrayed as being a bit slow or a bit, you know, not the brightest bulbs or yeah. a bit slow on the uptake or or you know plodders. Whereas the the genius of someone like Sherlock Holmes and the rivals of Sherlock Holmes, which of course uh, became a series. Um, they are seen as the clever. You need in, intuition. You need cleverness. You need insight that the ordinary copper doesn't have. Now, this may not be true in the real world, but when things like um, the Jack the Ripper murders happen, very much people are starting to say, you know, uh, why can't they catch them? Which mm-hmm. again, you know, the press never changes. It's something happens that's beyond anybody's control or anybody's experience. But for some reason, there's supposed to be someone who's responsible for resolving this thing and i think we actually to a certain extent culturally we start to expect that some genius will just come along and sort it out even though we don't trust experts mm. anymore yeah, go figure but um so i i feel in fiction it became more interesting that the the gifted amateur 
was always running rings around the professionals, whereas of course in the real world this was not the case. What's the um, the road? Is it not the Roadhouse murder? The um, they did a series uh, a few years ago, um, and there was an actual real world detective, and then they did a few more episodes. I can't remember mm. crime series, but but that was very much um, you know the very you know it's the first time when. You know, people would actually lose their careers over failing to solve a crime, and it's it's you know it's actually kind of weird that you know again people in the real world now you know are constantly having to uh, they're being compared with the detectives who solve everything in yes. forty five minutes yeah. in a TV show or an hour and a half in a TV show or the CSIs who solve everything you know. They, they get their DNA and, whoa, we've got him. Uh-huh. And, of course, the real world is far more pragmatic, far more difficult, far more complicated. But for some reason, we socially ex- sort of feel that the fictional version of a crime needs to be solved. We feel comforted by crime fiction because we feel that it's controllable and you will get a resolution. Whereas, actually, if someone, you know, nicks your wallet in the high street, mm. chances are you're not going to see your wallet again, mm. you know, and they're not going to pay a price, or at least if they do, it'll be somewhere down the line for doing something else. You know? There's a private investigator on this list that I've just noticed who I know is a favourite of yours, uh, mm. Nero Wolf, a mm. character created by Rex Stout. Now, the funny thing about Nero Wolf, I do now own a couple of the books, but... Um, I didn't. I'd never heard of, of Nero Wolf until you referred to him <laughs> on one of our podcasts, and, right. and 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 you just said something and and you dropped it in, and I think you maybe maybe you thought I knew Nero Wolf. Who it was, is, I, Nero Wolf uh, is a great character. Yeah. I, I, I went back and I sort of thought, well, I'd better find out who this is, and and then I found mm. f- found out more. But uh, he's a character who's in quite quite a number of books as well. They, yeah, uh, Rex Stout wrote. I think I think there's fifty plus, and quite often they the books themselves are either made up of two um, stories or three. You know, so they are short stories, sort of collected. So some of them are story collections. There are uh, not not many of them are full length um, full length novels. Mm. But the thing about Nero Wolf, because this is an American uh, detective who's based in uh, New York, and He's. A, I don't know if you know the, the setup at all, but he's 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 an overweight mm. gourmand mm. who is a genius, but who who is also an agoraphobic, doesn't like to leave his brownstone, his his house, mm. uh, and he is assisted by uh, Archie, who is his, um, who basically is the guy who does the legwork. He does most of the legwork and most of the. If anybody needs to be thumped or beaten mm. up, <laughs> or do some thumping or do some beating up, it's Archie who does it. But but Nero Wolf does not like to leave his house, so he solves most of his crimes uh, from the comfort of his uh, office, his armchair. And they are actually quite fabulous. They are quite enjoyable books. Um, again, they they ran for such a long time that you know, time catches up. And there have been a couple of. Um, very good uh, adaptations. Some well, the the oh, what's the name? The guy who played Cannon, William Conrad, who played you know was was a portly actor, and he played a contemporary version of uh, Nero Wolf back in the seventies. 
Uh, the Timothy Hutton produced uh, Canadian version, which is uh, Maury Chalkin, I think, played Wolf, mm -hmm. is um, is a, a, a very enjoyable series actually uh, on television again. But uh, they, again, it's one of those things that there's a lot of quirkiness within the character that might not present itself well on the screen. You know, once you actually see it, you go, "Oh, that's a bit weird." But they are very. It's a very fascinating character, and again, um, there are things like uh, there are recipe there are recipe books you can get stout recipe books. Uh, he has a I, I can't remember now, but he he seems to think that scrambled eggs should be done for three hours or something <laughs> like that. Okay. What do you describe? Yeah. What do you describe but, to? I know he, he he's a uh, a private investigator, but it did make me wonder whether somebody had been reading um, a Nero Wolf book when they came up with Ironside, and in, in, in from the point of view that it. it it's a, possibly a sort possibly of next thinking time, of, of a of, of, of a uh, detective who is able to do the the footwork quite as much and needs mm. needs other. Um, well, I think a lot of you know. I mean, when all said and done, uh, TV detectives specifically are. I mean, to differentiate themselves from all the other TV detectives, uh, there is a certain a lot. Certainly in the seventies, there was the, the, there was a quirk to each one. You know, so you had. Colombo, but uh, you know, who was the scruffy one? You mm. had the, did, like you say, I think there's a, isn't Long Street? Is it Long Street or Longmire? The, the the blind one. Mm. Not sure. You know, there's there's a lot of. Um, I mean, even uh, in the modern era, you get uh, the, most of the Bone Collector, Lincoln, Lincoln Rhymes, mm. who uh, is uh, a paraplegic. Mm. You know, um, so, the, and that's not. It's to, in some ways it's to differentiate them from all the rest mm. but also I mean there's a fascinating thing to me that because uh, I know you're a big fan of Midsommar Midsommar I, I, I always want to call it Midsommar I don't oh. know why Midsommar Murders and I feel that in many ways um, Barnaby in in that again is another uh, series that was sourced from uh, from books mm. I mean they're the original Midsommar books mm. but um barnaby is about the only one who has a successful marriage in in most detective fiction they all seem to be there's so many reformed alcoholics or troubled loners mm. you know that actually to, to have somebody who just has a reasonably happy family life <laughs> is unusual there is one other one that i will come to who, who is well we'll talk we'll talk about that later but there is the, i know mm. what you mean uh, i mean one of the reasons that I probably watched Midsummer Murders was that Barnaby was played by Bergerac, but mm. uh, <laughs> which takes us to another detective who wasn't in a mm. book. But uh, um, but yeah, I, I, I weirdly Bergerac was kind of because Shoestring mm. didn't get re well, didn't mm. want to do any more, and Shoestring again was created for television. But it's it's almost like they feed on themselves. You need another detective. You need another detective. I mean, we are sitting here today when they've just announced that Holby City is going mm. to finish, mm. and uh, I've not necessarily been a particular fan of Holby City, but twenty three years on television is not to be yeah. sneezed at. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of interesting because you think, well, what are you going to replace it with? Well, you're going to replace it with some other long running drama that fits in that slot and nine times out of ten it's a soap or a detective story so i think we may have another detective on the way but i think that was the thing shoestring filled that gap for two years and then suddenly oh mm. the actor doesn't want to do it anymore uh same team uh came up with bergerac uh, 
I noticed, um, actually, I noticed that the detective I was going to mention and, and will mention in mm. just a little while is, is not on my Wikipedia oh, list right. um, of police detectives, which is quite insulting considering he had a long running TV series as well mm. as all the books. But anyway, well, I shall leave it and we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, okay. But, Ooh, yeah, but oh, I, no, I noticed there's a couple, cliffhanger. I, I You're going to put a commercial break in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Get Ick singing again. Can Ick sing detective themes? I don't know. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think I think there are. I mean, the, I mean yeah, but certainly in terms of uh, TV versions, uh, you know, they've all got great themes. I mean, but the Miss Marple theme from uh, Margaret Rutherford films are just mm. is sublime. I think it was covered by the. Fun Boy Three, uh, and we—I remember us all dancing around when I was at art school to the um, to the uh, the theme from Miss Marple. Also, looking at this list, I noticed there's a couple of detectives that I I probably always thought were possibly. I guess I guess you do kind of presume that there are books behind a lot of these people, but I mm. I, I was far more aware of them as TV detectives. Mm. Um, but uh, Inspector Frost and Inspector Wallander. Uh, both, yes. both came from book series. Well, is, is uh, it uh, Henning Menkel? Henning, the, yeah, uh, Menkel, yeah. I, I, lo- I love a bit of Wallander. I have uh, read. Um, no, I think I've only actually read the first Wallander book. I was. I. It was one of those things when I got my Kindle. Mm. Uh, I I downloaded the first Wallander book and and read it and meant to read more and for some reason never got. Around. I always find that the the thing about having books on Kindle is I actually forget I've got them because I very rarely boot up the Kindle these days. Uh, and and I remember I had to actually order one. When my mother was uh, in, in her final illness, um, quite often I would have to go and wait in waiting rooms uh, in the hospital, and I started reading a particular uh, series, a, a book called The Coroner, which I think has also actually since become a, a series, but I read the first book in The Coroner series, and I actually had to go... And, I'd, I'd read three quarters of it when, for whatever reason, I didn't get to read the rest of it i think my mum was either discharged or whatever or 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 it went the other way i can't actually remember i just remember i was reading this at the time and the interesting thing about that was i went and ordered i'd got that as a download to so i could just finish the book Mm. (laughs) if you see what i mean because again the thing about mystery stories is you you like to have the resolution you like to find out like i don't think I think it would have annoyed me more to not know how that story resolved itself. So I was able mm. to get it on the Kindle and download it, and the same day I could finish reading that book. But uh, yes, the, uh, the Wallander is uh, an interesting character because obviously uh, there's a whole subgenre, if you like, of Scandinavian uh, fiction mm. generally. This this is because you forget sometimes that so many books are written, it, or, or historically, so many books are written in England or Britain and America that we forget, actually, that there are other writers sitting in other countries who are writing perfectly serviceable crime fiction mm. that we might not be aware of because it's being written in a language that either isn't being exported. I mean, I'm sure there's some brilliant Chinese detective fiction. Mm. It's just I've not seen any um, Chinese detective, uh, mm. notwithstanding. But um, so you take somebody... And the interesting thing about uh, Wallander in the books is he's very much, he's very much an ill man. Mm. He uh, is suffering from um, all sorts of uh, diabetic. I think it's diabetes. He suffers mm. from, you know. And there's an awful lot of shall we, shall we say his uh, his bowel movements feature quite heavily in that certainly in that first book. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is because he's a man of sort of well, my sort of age, I suppose, uh, and has sort of the problems that a man of my sort of age has. But the interesting thing about that is that sometimes the first novel for these detectives if you like 
their 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 age is set and then suddenly they end up having 30 40 year literary careers and you think well hold on a minute you were 55 back in 1986 you know um there's a there's a few years more years on the clock you know, i know that people mock um or mocks gently mock dixon of dot green being way past retirement age but actually <laughs> to a certain extent a lot of the detectives in detection we quietly forget about their quirks i mean there's a whole thing in uh the morse books isn't there that lewis in the books is older than morse mm. he's an old and not terribly successful detective sergeant and and i think in the early books morse used to drive a jensen rather than a, a jag mm. and as the television series sort of became more well known certainly in america they they should we say retro fitted that yeah. so so uh, welsh lewis sort of transformed slowly into geordie lewis <laughs> who was a younger man uh because that was the you know obviously the, the image that was in people's head by that stage was john thor and kevin wakeley yeah. uh, and so that was what pe when they picked up the book that's what they expected to see or read yeah. mm. uh so a couple of the early books did get slightly retrofitted the you know the car got changed and i think mm. the uh the, should we say they glossed over a bit the fact that uh the age of uh lewis but uh, i think it's interesting that because uh of the fictional detectives morse seems to have become one of the more phenomenally successful in the last 30 years fascinating to me that uh, when i first saw morse on television i didn't know it existed as books mm. yeah the um the the inspector that i was going to mention that isn't on this list and is a character created by probably my favorite crime writer uh is inspector wexford oh, uh, written, written by um, booth rendell um weirdly though uh, until I never saw any of the TV shows, and mm. until about a month ago, I had never read any Inspector Wexford books. Well, that's mm. not true. I think I re I'd read one. I'm, I'm mm. a big fan of Ruth Rendell, but she's written so many books mm. that I've mainly always read her um, standalone books. And mm. I've also tended to like her psychological um, thrillers or, or sort of stories um, which don't involve inspectors because as much as you know we've talked about a lot of detectives i i tend to um sometimes find that detectives themselves can slow stories down or you you sort of get a bit fed up of oh now they're talking to him and now they're talking oh now they've got to go back mm. to him and, and i think that's why i was like miss marple because she was a lot more subtle about what she she didn't she, she would yes. creep into a scene and she'd talk mind like a steel yeah. trap but um, and also, obviously, with with Ruth Rendell, she wrote as as um, Barbara Vine, and wrote mm. and most of those were psychological thrillers. So that those were the ones I really liked. But I always said mm. that one day, because there's about twenty eight of them or something, um, I, one day I said I will go through Wexford in order. Um, mm. And obviously, she she passed away about five years ago, and mm. I thought, well, I, you know, I better get on with it really. Mm. <laughs> um, so so far, I've read two Inspector Wexford books. The the first one was written about 64 and it, it's, it sort of sets the scene. But the second one mm. that I'm reading at the moment is kind of weird because Inspector Wexford and um, his his sidekick are in the background, really. And mm. the main character is a 
a vicar who is wanting to reopen a crime. So, mm. so he he is kind of doing some of the spade work, whereas Inspector Wexford is not that keen because it was a crime mm. that he thought he'd solved. Um, mm. So I, I don't know. As I go through uh, the Wexford books, I may find that she doesn't stick to uh, any one formula, or maybe she will do because perhaps she decided that this second book wasn't. It's interesting that actually, because um, Billingham in his Thorn books has also written a couple of books that don't feature uh, Thorn, you know, a couple of just general crime novels, but tends generally to throw in a scene where where Thorn appears, Mm. you know, and so I think it's not unusual. Again, to a certain extent, when you think back to Sherlock Holmes, those first uh, novels I was talking about. Actually, Sherlock Holmes is very much the background character that comes in and sort of saves the day or solves the crime. But actually, a lot of the you know the story is something else. So yeah. I think it's 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 a recognised sort of subspecies, subgenre, if you like, of the detective novel. I was actually thinking, interestingly enough, because I know you're a big fan of Telly's um, Father Brown. Mm. And what gets me about the TV, certainly the most recent incarnation of TV's Father Brown, is how it it only really takes sort of passing notes from the from the stories, and the and the original stories are very different, very very all set in a very different world, you know, and have a very different. I mean, they're a different era, you know, the 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 sort of cosy village of Father Brown is actually more, I feel, is more stolen from St Mary Mead or shall we say it's a kind of it's a riff on St Mary Mead you've got that uh, sort of small but perfectly formed uh, community but equally you've you've got um, when you think back to something like Cabot Cove in in uh, Murder She Wrote you know which of course we should at least touch on because it has wrote in the title Mm. Um, I mean basically to all intents and purposes Cabot Cove is St Mary Mead in America you know so I feel that, that you know that the the enclosed small community I mean what was it that Miss Marple basically all human life or all aspects of nature of the world can be viewed by looking at one English village mm-hmm. and and you can work out how people's minds work by oh yes well there was a butcher who did this you know who 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 shortchanged me therefore you can extrapolate that into mm. a real world thing, and I do think that Miss Marple, as that, doesn't have that interrogative approach, and I think that can actually be, it is innovative. I, you forget actually how innovative Christie is in terms of playing with the form, you know. So it's not just they, the detective comes in, asks the questions, and solves the crime, you know. And that has its place, and indeed Poirot, to a lot of lot of the time, works very well in that way. But uh, but I think there's there's a cleverness to the Miss Marple books. Uh, um, I was looking at our list of, of the four different types. We are coming towards the end of the, sh- the show, although I want to share with them something else with you in a second. But mm. but our last um, our last uh, type was the forensic specialist, and, and mm. it is notable that I wonder if that's far more of a more recent sort of popular. Because I, well, I guess because technology. I'd say Carnacki is is a forensic detective to a certain extent. I, I feel even Sherlock Holmes uses forensics in a way that possibly wasn't, you know, necessarily recognised as such. But the whole thing about when did fingerprint evidence first come in? It's it's late Victorian, isn't it? Mm. it uh, crime 
uh, detecting crime, crime detection was changing in that era. You know, but but I think you know you could argue that the specialist detective certainly uh, has its place, and the I feel the it's interesting that have announced this week that, or in the last few weeks that um, CSI is returning mm. to CBS next year, next season. Mm. They are making new ones because uh, it was again a very popular area of um, television crime uh, detecting in the early part of this <coughs> century about what 20 years ago now and but that was coming from the fact that all these leaps and bounds have been made in science in dna and everything like that but we've always had throughout television fiction you know throughout written fiction you have the ones who say don't disturb the crime scene and that goes all the way back to Sherlock Holmes. Mm. you know you've got, you can't have your you know, your 15 policemen with their size 9 boots trudging around all over the place. I'm trying to work out what which are the boots of the killer, you know. So I feel that uh, the specialist is a, is, is, has always been with us, really. Yeah, you, you know, because, uh, I mean, Dexter comes up. Temperance mm. Brennan, who is... Um, in Bones, And yeah. Bones, again, I didn't realise that Bones came from books. They're mm. by Cathy Reichs. Cathy Reichs, yes. Yeah, and um, you've got Dr K. Scarpetta... From the in the Patricia Cornwell books, who I know the name of of that character, but I've never read one of her books. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, of course you've got Quincy on TV. But uh, mm. I mean that that's sort of um, sort of late seventies. So, uh, well, because Quincy wasn't a detective. Mm, no. Quincy was a pathologist. You know, mm. but that's the interesting <clears throat> the interesting sort of sideline is that quite often. Uh, for the nature of the story you know i feel that sometimes people have to r run roughshod over procedure and all this kind of thing i mean i feel that sometimes that the fiction is the fictional detective is lucky in the sense that they don't have to quite follow the same rules as the real world and again that's coming back to what i was saying about how people's expectations of the real world solving their crime is different to how it's actually solved uh, you know how it's solved in rather in fiction is because their expectations come from the fictional version and actually the real world is a far more difficult and complex place to investigate crime in is it, as it were you know i mean i don't feel that uh, certainly someone like uh, quincy would get away with half what he gets away with i mean it's always lucky that he's great mates with some other policemen isn't it i mean that helps i mean but uh, and you can and also that you've got people who are prepared to smash windows and bend a few rules so that you can, you know, <laughs> sort out the plot. Mm. Now, to finish off with, I've, I've, mm. when I was looking into sort of uh, talking about this, I found a Wikipedia page which has the top 100 crime novels of all time. So I guess oh, not okay. necessarily 100% detectives necessarily, but these are quite old. They must be mm. quite, you know, of all the polls that they must be quite highly regarded because they're quite mm. old ones from first ones from 1990 and the next ones from only about 10 years later actually maybe mm -hmm. only five years later um but it's quite interesting that the you know it's been retained on this wikipedia page mm. so it must be must be sort of one of the first times they started doing this sort of thing mm. now i'm going to read just the top 10 but then i might okay. pick through some of the ones which i know that we we like which i've seen on the list so yes. on this first um, this first poll, the number ten is the Maltese Falcon by Dashiell Hamnett. Ah, um, yes. But then you've got 
the Ipcrest file at number nine by Len Dayton. Right. That's much more of a spy. I tend to think of that as a, as a spy more. But yes. um, mm-hmm. then number eight, you've got The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven, Farewell, My Lovely by Raymond Chandler. Oh, um, Raymond Chandler. And then yeah. six, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. I love Daphne du Maurier. I love mm. Rebecca, but I almost... Yeah, that, that's not... That's sort of... It's not a detective... It's not detective fiction. It's... It's a lot more like the the Ruth Rendell's that I that I like. I it think. probably unpeels like mm. a detective story, but yes. I don't think it necessarily feels like it is mm. detective fiction. But yeah, um, number five is the murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie, mm. well, uh, which um, was only on television yesterday, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Which um, we play uh, we play spot the Poirot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So when it, when we switch to that channel, uh, we have to we have to work out which one it was <laughs> mm. without knowing, without looking. Yeah. Um, number four is Gordy Knight by Dorothy L. Sayers. Okay. Uh, number three, the spy who came out from the cold. Sorry, okay. the spy who came in, the, spy, yeah. the spy who came in from the cold by John Le Carre. Number two is The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler, oh, and. Um, number one is The Daughter of Time by Josephine Tay. I, I know Josephine okay. Tay, but I don't uh, really know. No, well, um, again, that could be interesting. One. I mean, sometimes these polls are... I, I feel sometimes it's like when people go on about the best movies, they, sh- they shouldn't really be allowed to use anything in the last ten years mm. because because it's something that's popular today. But I feel that the, the good ones really stand the test of time. interesting thing about The Big Sleep, of course, is that... Uh, Apparently, even Chandler couldn't work out who killed the uh, <laughs> who killed the chauffeur. I, I used um, to I used to have a headmaster who would call me Raymond, and um, and but it, well, I don't think it was I don't think it was because he was being funny. I think he was just a bit absent-minded, and and he yeah. could never quite re- remember my first name. <laughs> my English teacher was called Mr. Watson, mm. <laughs> and so my very first day in English class in first year of secondary school, he uh, he actually did he fed me the. Um, you know, mm. amazing homes. How do you do it? And I was supposed to reply, "Elementary, my dear Watson." And then he basically then turned around and went, "Mr. Watson, to you." <laughs> uh, and that was how we started off uh, my <laughs> my English. Uh, it's about mind. Funny enough, it's about the only class from last year that I actually do remember. So, mm. um, just just going down this list this fir- of this first poll, Josephine Tay has another one at number mm. eleven, the franchise the franchise affair. Is the Thin Man in there? Because I I do um, like the Thin Man. Uh, I haven't got to it yet. I like the Thin Man films. Mm. So, uh, and the, there was a TV series based the, on that as well. But the, the, the nine the nine tailors that Dorothy L. Sayers book I mentioned is at number eighteen. Mm. We've got some more Agatha Christie's. We've got, and then there were none at nineteen. Um, Thirty nine steps by John. Well, and then, Buchan. There were, then there were, then there were none. Is absolutely a steel trap of a mm. book i i feel it it feels flawless i mean i i of of the christie i enjoy murder on the Ore express a lot because that i mean that takes its idea and runs with it but does it very well um but yeah uh, then there were none basically how how do you actually get all you know all of your people to be victims and mm. uh, it's it's possible that some of the adaptations of smoothed over some of the worst aspects of how that resolves itself Mm. interestingly enough sometimes they cheat the other interesting thing about it is that when you think about Fleming there are flaws in in Fleming's plots that get resolved in some of the early films Uh, Ian Fleming Fleming is is in this list um, but 
down, down at number 35 with From Rush With Love. Yeah. Um, <coughs> yes, Deals. And, um... Sorry, yeah, no, is that... Is that is that sing, is the Dealy singing the theme from From Russia? From Russia. You're singing that. Um, the, I'm quite surprised. Uh, there are a couple of Sherlock Holmes uh, books. There's a collected short stories and Hand of the Baskervilles, but mm. they're not as high as I would have expected mm. them to, to have Well, certainly, been, really. you know, not considering the top ten, I would have thought. I mean, I'd have th- certainly thought there'd be more Christie in there. I'd have thought. But uh, then again, it depends who does the voting. Yes. I mean, it may well be American, because uh, you know, there are quite a lot of American writers in there, so mm, I suspect there is maybe a, it's American crime fiction. But. There is a, a, a Dark Adapted Eye, which is a Barbara Vine one. Mm. Um, she doesn't appear uh, as her Ruth, in, in her Ruth Wendell guise. Um, Patricia Highsmith, Strangers on a Train, number 38. Oh, that, mm. there was another one, uh, Talented Mr Ripley. Uh, that That's a weird... That's one of those sort of crime novels where it's much more mm. you get to sort of see it from the point of view of I do like the the Ripley books. Um, but don't you think it's also interesting that crime fiction specifically, and I, I feel in many ways that could well be because uh, Agatha Christie was such a trailblazer. It does. It, it there's no shame in being a female writing crime fiction mm. it's interesting i mean there shouldn't i mean there shouldn't be shame in it but you know what i'm saying that there were a lot of writers in science fiction and in other genre who had to adopt a male sounding name uh in order to get published or to get readership mm. but actually crime fiction does seem to be quite uh lacking in misogyny i mean i know in the end the world is a very misogynistic place and certainly in, in certain fandoms you can you know you, you stick your head up above the parapet as a female you can get absolutely absolutely pounced on which is just mm. pitiful but mm. there we go but the um but actually crime fiction it, it seems to have been okay for a very long time for women to write as women mm. interestingly enough though we've got sort of a few male writers writing as women you've got a few female writers writing as men um, I mean what's her name uh, Harry Potter J.K. Uh, J.K. Rowling yeah writing yeah. Uh, her um, what's he called Robert, Strike yeah Robert Strike Robert books. Galbraith she calls mm. herself when she writes those yeah um, so it's again it's still not 100% you know the nom de plume but I, I feel that the, the women didn't have to, as much certainly in crime fiction, disguise the, disguise the fact that yes. they were women. Um, it does make me wonder that um, whether Ruth Vendor had more books published as Barbara Vine over there, because she, she has another couple. She has at least one more, but no Ruth Vendor for once. Um, mm, and uh, but other names like um, P.D. James and even mm. Dick Francis appear on this list. Dick Francis is a funny one because it's pretty. I did go through a stage of reading a few Dick Francis novels, mm. and, and of course, there's there's always this. I think it's since been confirmed that it, it's the truth, but I think at one point, um, because I think with, with Dick Francis's books, it was basically his his wife writing them and coming up with the plots. I'm not quite sure how much he had to do with them at all, mm. um, but he cert- certainly his wife. Whatever percentage of time he spent on them, I think his wife was heavily, heavily involved. involved yeah. They wrote them, at, yeah. at least in collaboration. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because Duke Francis uh, is another one of those, a bit like Alistair MacLean, that sort of went out of favour and out of print for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, there's, 
there's one here in the top 93 called Wobble to Death. What? Uh, wobble, wobble to death. Wobble to death. Wobble to Which death. I thought you said wobble to death. I thought you were. I thought I you think were that would, there was a wombles novel. Probably make it more. Probably make more <laughs> sense. He, Orinoco he, investigates. He wrote Sergeant Crip, Peter Lear. Um, oh, Peter Lovesey. Sorry. Mm. Oh no, best known as Peter Lear. Um, yeah, I have a feeling I've seen that. I feel like there might be a TV version of, the, of, of that. But um, um, I did see. On the second list, I did. The names are pretty much uh, similar. It's it's quite useful because it does mm. actually show where if this book appeared on the first list and how different. But um, you have got a Father Brown on there. But mm. I did see um, Beck Stout. The doorbell rang. It's number mm. sixty six um, on this second the list. Spiders is the is the uh, the first one, but yeah, it's it's again quite, that's the, one of the full length. I'll give you I'll give you the top ten of the second mm. list and then we'll have to say goodbye. But um, it, it has some similar and some different. Uh, mm. Number ten, and then there were none, which on mm. the other, on the other list was number nineteen. Mm. Uh, number nine, Rebecca, which was number six mm. on the first list. Crystal, yeah, the the big sleep number t- which was number two mm. and mm. is number number eight on this one. Mm. Um, the Moonstone by Wilkie Collins is number seven. Mm. It was pretty much the same place. It was number eight in the other one. Um, the Spy Who Came In From The Cold, which was number three on the previous list, mm. is number six on this list. Okay. Uh, Presumed Innocent by Scott Turo, mm. um, number 48 on the previous list. Number okay. five. Now, the, the Daughter of Time by Josephine Tay appears on this list too at number four. Number one, of course, on the first list. Mm. Uh, then we have Tales of Mystery and Imagination, short stories by Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan, uh, yeah. yeah. That was number 23 on the previous list. Number mm. two is the number two is the Maltese Falcon by Dashiell mm. Hamlet, which was number ten on the first list. And you'll be happy with this, though. Uh, it seems like a good place to end as well. The Complete Sherlock Holmes is number one ah. on this list. So, um, well, Complete Sherlock Holmes, I bought when I was seventeen years old. I bought one of those big. I, I love an anthology book that has the collected. Mm. And I sat there and I read it through. I, yeah, it, it's I I. I you know, I've got a, I've got a fondness for the complete Sherlock Holmes. I, I, uh, so yes, it's uh, it is it is very much for me. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, when I think of detective fiction, I think of, of Holmes, and that's not just because I'm thinking of myself. Mm-hmm. It's um, no, it's it, it, yeah. I, I like a good Sherlock Holmes. I like I like all the versions of it. I like the updates. I you know, there's there's a lot to be said, and he is a brilliant character. So yeah, Thank should be up there. Quite right too. I, I just thought, what, what a sinister turn! Um, uh, if uh, the, the the TV series Homes Under the Hammer could could, uh, <laughs> could could have could be if it yeah. involved just yourself yeah. or Sherlock. But, uh. Oh yes, it's uh, it's been said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always okay. say, "Was that Homes Under the Hammer?" I duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, Martin, thank you very much for uh, helping me dip into some of. The, been an absolute um, pleasure. Of, of I will. Crime I will now have to go and rummage on my bookshelves. It's funny every every time we do the music ones, I find myself rummaging through the CD shelves. So. I did finally find I do have two things I actually found I have uh, today. I found I have got the CD of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which mm. I thought I'd bought, but I'd misfiled. Yes. And I do have on a, a 60s anthology, which I knew I had somewhere, but I couldn't put my hand on for weeks. Uh, I do have uh, the Joe Cocker version of uh, Barry Little Holt from the Friends. So I was quite I, pleased. So, 
So yes, I will be I will be rummaging along the bookshelves now, having yes. talked about all well, this. So that's, that's well, I did I did the same thing. I I looked into Magical Mystery Tour and discovered that the full album version, which is kind of two different EPs and mm. lots of different singles and stuff, that did come out in America at the time, but didn't come out in the UK until 1977. Oh. Um, I, I don't think they got the EPs. Possibly they they just got the full album with the mm. with the EP plus all the 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 eight like all you need is love etc on the other side, um, wow. and 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 yet that wasn't released in in their lifetime. Well, their lifetime as a band in yeah. the UK. So. Wow. But anyway, Martin. Well, um, we'll we can um, cut all that out. I know. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's just that's just an aside. All that stuff about the music, but I. I I did feel certainly that I will. I will be going on the bookshelves. So yeah. yeah. Well, Martin, I hope to speak to you again soon. And well, uh, I we'll do... say I'm going to blag you, and we are going to do exactly the same thing, and you're yes. going to sit there with exactly the same notes, and we are going to do it with television programs. Yes. So uh, yeah. I'm going to nick you for my own show, and, and we, will, <laughs> we will do that at some point. So that's yeah, be, that's cool. uh, that'll be something for people to look forward to or look back on, depending on when this goes out. On, on vision, on sound, is that right, Martin? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. I'm not sure anybody's ever heard of it. But. <laughs> I'm sure they have. Sure they have well, but yes, anyway. it's what thank, I do. Yes. Anyway, thank you very much. And, Our uh, pleasure, as always. And, uh, yes, goodbye for now, listeners. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be with you again soon. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. listen guys um i don't want to cause trouble i don't want to i'm no private investigator that's for sure but i do feel that uh, i need to um I, I i need to ask you all um whether any of you are responsible and you know as i say I, i'm no detective but i i do you know i expect you to step forward and admit it if um you know, you're responsible. Uh, what, what are you talking about, Paul? <laughs> well, let me see. I've got a list here of things that are either broken or have gone missing in the house. Oh, golly, Paul. Uh, oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, I, 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 I'll certainly uh, put my hand up if it's something I've done. Oh, yes, Paul, of course, of course. I, uh, I expect that, uh, uh, you know, it'll be easily sorted. All right, um... So I have a list here. Uh, broken toilet seat. Anybody? Anybody know who broke the toilet seat? Uh, yeah, well, uh, it, uh, uh, it might be me. Uh, oh, okay. Um, now we're missing some things in the fridge. Um, we're missing some uh, honey. We're missing... Um, well, all of the jams have gone missing. Uh there is there was some cream that Toby was going to use in a recipe, um, sausages, and bacon all gone. Um, is anyone willing to put their hand up about that? Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul I think it probably was me. Uh, it's just a little, uh, uh, you know, a, a midnight snack. I, I promise I'll, uh, I'll I'll replace all those items. <sighs> okay, uh, dear oh dear listeners, 
You really didn't need to be a detective to work out who was going to be responsible. Oh, golly. Oh, dear. Yeti Uncle John. Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah, all right, all right. Sorry, guys, I'm sorry. It was, it was me. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com. Oh dear, (laughs) what's going on now? Oh, it's the Shy Life Podcast. Let's go. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net. So, um, Cromarty, if you're going to be a detective, what sort of detective, uh, you know, would you be? Would you be a police detective? Would you be a private investigator? Would you be like an amateur detective? Uh, a forensic detective? Uh, well, Paul, I think that if I was given a choice, I think I would be uh, an amateur um, investigator. I, I always like that sort of thing. It's uh, you, you get away with a lot more when people don't realise you're uh, a policeman. I, no, I, I completely agree, Cromarty. Yes. Ha. Um, so, you know, what would you be? Would you be um, would you be you, or would you be a, a character with a particular trait? Oh, good point. I think that I would be a an eccentric, uh, like, antique dealer. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I guess if you were an eccentric antique dealer, you could go to, I guess, it's a little bit like Lovejoy. Do you know Lovejoy? I think I do, Paul. He's, he's sort of an amateur detective. Yeah. Well, he's, I guess he's more auctions. But uh, maybe... You could. Uh, the thing is, the more you think about it, uh, so many. You know, there are so many detectives uh, over the years. People have had to kind of, you know, uh, are, are there any types of detectives left? Uh, especially with the amateur ones, is there any sort of career trope that hasn't been used? Uh, it must become harder and harder the more you think. Oh yes, yes, I know what you mean, Paul. Uh, dear, oh dear, I don't know. I thought you made a very good detective working out that Yeti Uncle John had taken the stuff from the fridge. Well, I don't know about being a detective, Cromarty. I think partly that was obvious, and partly, well, he did admit it. Uh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you're right, dear old dear Yeti Uncle John. I know, I know. But, uh, oh well. It also doesn't take a detective to see that it's the end of the episode, so we ought to say goodbye. Oh yes, goodbye listeners, goodbye for now, bye listeners. Oh my god, there's nothing I like better is when another new episode of the Shy Life Podcast comes out. <laughs> Whoa, I love that one. 
great show, Paul. Yeah, that was a good show. Quite right, quite right, quite right, should be up there, 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 quite right, 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 quite right